Brangalawoffers.com is a website that um, we created for our team at the time. And it was just as an advisory platform for consumers to kind of let them know what's going on out there in the community. A lot of times, I'm sure you've seen it as well. Anytime a realtor, a real estate agent is going to post something about these comes usually negative. They don't give a reason why other than you're losing X amount of dollars or, you know, somebody got bamboozled into selling their house. And I, I honestly believe that these iBuyer programs, all of them, have a place in the market. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser, with Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. Thanks for tuning in as we uncover the stories of leaders in our industry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 209 of The Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, I get to do something I love to do, and that is I'm having a face-to-face interview with my guest on episode 209 to let you know, to give you a sense of the Tampa Bay area. I am about 50 miles north of downtown St. Pete. I'm in in Pasco County in Land O'Lakes. I'm here with Joe LaCicero of... 54 Realty. 54 Realty. I want to make sure I got his name right. And Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So the first thing I want to ask you is the name 54 Realty. Now, as I drove up here and I came up McMullen Booth, so locals know what I'm talking about. If you're out of the area, I, I kind of took surface streets. I didn't take a freeway. And as, uh, as I came up, I end up on what's called Highway 54. So is there a connection there? Yeah, absolutely. So me and my wife moved up to the area in uh, 2006 and Land Lakes came up from the Tampa Bay area and moved into Concord Station. And when we started our real estate team, I want to say 2011, when the market you know was really at its and had bottomed out. You know, we were just getting some traction and building the team. We kind of wanted to do a name different than just using the traditional last name like you see most of the teams in the area do. So we thought, you know, what could be something that we could do kind of a wordplay on the area that we were farming and where we wanted to grow, which is primarily the Wesley Chapel, Land O'Lakes, Lutes, Trinity, Odessa sections of Pasco County. And the 54 corridor kind of ran right through. So that's where you kind of saw the commercial growth all the communities being built, the master plan communities, a lot of people moving up in the area. So that's where we came up with the name. In 2011, this stuff was already underway as far as planning and things. You knew that. Was this, this was part of your master plan? Yes. Let's talk about Pasco County for a second, because I think most people that know Tampa Bay think of Hillsborough and Pinellas. Those two counties kind of dominate that St. Pete, Tampa Bay area. And if, if I had to describe it, Pasco County is just kind of like sitting right on top of both of them, right? Absolutely. It stretches all the way to the coast. It's it's actually Gulf Coast properties mm-hmm. all the way inland, uh, maybe 40, 50 miles, I would mm-hmm. think. Is that about right? Yeah. So it's going to go start at the coast, you know, the Newport Ritchie, Port Ritchie, Hudson areas, and stretch all the way out to Dade City, Zephyr Hills. Awesome. So it, you know, covers a pretty wide area. And then obviously... It's you know going to be north of both Pinellas and Hillsborough County. Yeah, and let's for I just want to talk about this growth for a second. As I drove out this morning, retail, residential, I mean, it is crazy what's happening on this stretch up here. Because if you're down in, well, Pinellas County, kind of forget it. It's kind of built out, and like we just build up, <laughs> not, yeah. not out. Uh, and Tampa has some hot spots still, New Tampa, some areas. But boy, this talk about what's happening up here. So there's a lot of growth in the area. You have a lot of master plan communities, a lot of families moving in the area. In addition to that, you also have a lot of businesses starting to come in the area to help with the economic growth to kind of sustain all these homes that are being built. Right. Yeah. And I think it's been, I saw a ton of, of commercial. I mean, that's what I meant as I was coming up here. It was pretty cool. Uh, let's get to you. I like to find out where the guests come from. Let's, let's backtrack a little bit. 
Are you one of the few Tampa natives running around? Yeah, actually, a yeah, third generation, believe it or not. Wow, that's just, so. Can I? So, where did your family originally come from? How's that? Uh, Italy. <laughs> All right, <third> good. <laughs> so now I have a question because mm-hmm. were there were the, was Ybor City a part of your family's early life? Yes. Fortunately for me, all, all my family still remains in the area, you know, both my brothers, mom, dad, all that good stuff. So uh, we've all always kind of stayed tied into the community and a uh, part of the heritage. Now, you grew up in Tampa Bay proper. You were down closer to South Tampa, Just Tampa. south of Carrollwood. I grew up in an area called Egypt Lake. Okay, excellent. And uh, high school here? Yep, high school. Went to Jesuit for two years and then graduated from Tampa Catholic. Awesome. And I know you're a USF guy. Yes. Can we talk about Charlie Strong for a second? Are we okay? Is it gonna, <laughs> Are we going to be all right? It depends how we're talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, get a nice win this week before we recorded this. I think uh, they beat UConn. Yes. Right? Which, uh, which is good. And so fingers crossed for things better. I, I live two blocks from the St. Pete USF campus. And so uh, not quite the same as the main campus. No, but that's a beautiful campus. Actually, that's the one I went to for most of my classes. Because at the time of uh, going to USF, I was in the town and country area. So the commute was about the same to both. But I really love that campus out there on the water, sailboats and everything out there, all that good stuff. Yeah, good, good. Did you enter real estate right out of college? No. So when I graduated college uh, about late 2004, I went into the mortgage industry. I started with a company called Residential Finance. A couple of buddies I know were in the mortgage industry doing really well, you know, obviously during the boom. So got my start in there, did mortgages for a couple of years, opened up my own branch for a mortgage company in 2006. At that time, I got my real estate license. Um, me and my wife had four young kids at home, and uh, she was pretty much a homemaker taking care of the kids while I was out providing the income for the family. When um, I opened the mortgage company, we had plans of opening a real estate company as well. That's why I got the sales associate license with the plan of opening the brokerage. 2008 came and all those plans came crumbling down. Yeah, that changes things quite a bit. So do you, in 2008, there were opportunities for a realtor, not yes. so many for a lender. So Correct. did that, is that kind of the trigger that kind of pushed you into real estate full time? No, believe it or not, I didn't get into real estate until my wife got licensed. And then I kind of piggybacked on her. Um, during 2008, I got a insurance license. Um, once I figured out, you know, mortgage, the income really wasn't sustainable, just too many yeah. changes coming on and we just couldn't provide a living for the family any longer. Um, I ended up talking to a buddy who had opened up an all state agency, needed somebody to manage a secondary one. So I actually got my 220 license, okay. did that for a couple of years. And at that time, my youngest son was entering kindergarten. So my wife was looking to enter the workforce. Um, I thought she'd be great at the real estate and uh, encourage her to get licensed, which she did. She started having early success. Um, a buddy of mine, uh, DJ Rondu with uh, Beta Bay Lending, they were purchasing Zillow leads. At that time, nobody this, really this knew This is early in the game. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And we're talking 2011. Yeah. So uh, the ROI was much higher back then. And uh, we had a lot of success. And I'm like, all right, well, uh, my wife was doing well in the field. I'm like, right, the things I learned in the mortgage industry, because we were the mortgage industry from realtors back then mortgage was better at the phone sales, you know, staying on, knowing how to prospect, work the leads. A lot of realtors would do one call and then no longer follow up with the prospect. So just kind of instilling some of those prospecting tactics that I learned from the mortgage industry, bringing over to the real estate, just as DJ was doing over there at Bay to Bay and kind of coached me on how to do it. Um, we just had a lot of success. And then we started the team from there. First of all, I look at your background and I go, wow, I, 
you bring a ton of knowledge to the table as a realtor today, having all that lending background, having knowing what's going to go on with homeowners insurance, especially here, where I moved here two and a half years ago. You know they have things here called hurricanes. Yes, like insurance is a whole different world here, <laughs> and buying restrictions and yeah, all that. There's good all stuff. kinds of stuff. Yeah, like there's a box, there's a hurricane box, right? That when a name storm gets inside a box, you can't. Cl- Issue insurance coverage. policies, yeah, correct, yeah, it's crazy stuff. So that that has to help you, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Just yeah. having that knowledge and then bringing it to the team, yeah. so that way they have it as well when they are educating their clients and you know we're consulting with them. All right, so you you kind of work through some of the big brands. You started with Prudential, correct? Which we, you know, so a great learning platform, right, to kind of get the basics down, right? Yeah, yeah. So we started at Prudential. Believe it or not, they were right here on fifty four across from our offices now over there off Amberfield. And Land Lakes. That's where we originally started. And then they were great brokerage for, you know, a newer agent. Had great yeah. training, a little bit of hand-holding where, you know, we got the mentor and all that good stuff and really how to build the real estate business. Um, ended up leaving there with them going to Keller Williams. Just we outgrew the model. You okay. know, financially, it just wasn't making sense anymore. Makes sense. And then Keller Williams at that time was just a little more attractive. Yeah, time at Keller Williams. You've also been with Remax. Correct. Yep. Right. We've been at Remax for the past two years. We're looking, we were at the time exploring the possibility of buying a franchise with them. Wanted to get embedded in, in their culture, kind of learn what Remax was about. Um, met with a couple broker owners in the area who were great to work for, Christian Bennett and Sally Swinkford. They were fantastic to work for while we were there. We really like Remax, but at the end of the day, just thought we'd have a better fit kind of doing it on our own. And and let's talk about that. I mean, just recently, I and mean, we're talking on the last week or two. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You've actually launched 54 Realty. And let's talk about that process. I mean, that's, I, I you know, you've had the team for a while and you're not that part of it's pretty straightforward for you. You know how to market the team, how to keep your people busy, how to train, how to do all that stuff. Are you the broker? Did you have someone else who's the broker? How are you doing that part of it? So when I applied for the license, I've had my broker license for a while. So I have a broker record. Our director of ops is actually transitioning over to be the broker of record for this office, uh, Richard Castori. Hopefully that's taken care of in the next couple of weeks, but obviously going through the state process with that. So he'll be handling like all the compliance and all that stuff because it does get time consuming where I'll still be doing the same kind of functions that I was doing when running the team with my wife. Okay. And let's talk about the team. What does the makeup of the team look like? You mentioned a director of operations. So let's talk about the staff um, and then the breakdown with your agents. Yeah. So we have right now on staff, our director of ops and our broker record as Richard. Um, we also have a transaction manager okay. who oversees all the transactions, a listing coordinator to help with all the listings and making sure that uh, all of our clients' needs are met. We also have a marketing person in-house doing all the marketing, whether it's brochures, social media, advertising, blogs, websites, all that good stuff. Full-time, but, full-time marketing person. Full-time marketing I just person. want to make sure we say that out loud. Yes. That it's not a part-time job. Full-time. And actually, where she's needing help right now, so we're bringing on a part-time. Just wow. to kind of help out. Just with, you know, social media and this, it's moving so quick and it's tough to learn. You got to keep up with it. And then, you know, trying to get the video content, like videographer, photographers, things like that. It just becomes cumbersome at some point. Yeah. You need multiple people. Do you see down the road somewhere actually hiring a full-time videographer? Yeah. Yeah. That's going to happen one day, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I see that down the road where we'll have a full-time videographer, photographer on staff. Yeah, that's great. That's a, that's a nice size staff. How many agents are we talking about? And do they, do they kind of focus on buyers and sellers or do they all get to work everywhere? How does that look? So the last part of one more uh-huh. uh, administrative that we have in our back office, we do have client care who kind oh. of helps with the clients and all the making sure that um, we are meeting the needs of our consumers and all their needs are met, kind of just calling, following up with them and, and servicing the clients. During the transaction and During after? During and after, yes. Awesome. So I am going to ask a question about that before we go off to your yeah. team, the rest of the team. Aftercare, 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you must use some technology to help you CRM wise? Is mm-hmm. there what do you use to handle on that? I mean, just right now, our main CRM that we're using is Follow Up Boss. Okay. And we, we just kind of task it through Follow Up Boss okay. and make the calls and the notes in there as well. And so this 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 person's job full time is to make sure those people are being touched on a regular basis, uh, making sure that referrals are being kind of maybe generated through that process and that sort of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. Asking for that, seeing if we can help in any way, and just you know making sure you know asking for it at the end of the transaction, you know the post closed, hey, do we everything that we could to get a five star review? If so, do you mind reviewing us on these links? And, you know, whether it's Google or Zillow, we'll have the agent send out one. And we'll have client care send out the other because we notice when we send out multiple links for reviews that a lot of times the consumer won't do any. They just kind of get overwhelmed by yeah. multiple. But when you send one out, they typically have no problem doing it. And then the post-closing, if we didn't get that five-star review, what could we have done better? We always learning as a learning experience for our organization to make sure that we are delivering the best consumer experience out there. I'm ask you a tough question. Have you ever really received a bad review and had to then handle that process? Yes. So can you talk about that process? What what does it look like for you when that one or two star comes in? I mean, are, do you get personally involved in that? Yeah, me and my wife will get personally involved. And what we'll do is we will just apologize. We'll accept accountability where we drop the ball. Um, a lot of times, even if we felt we might be in the right, we're, at the end of the day, the perception of that client is that we weren't. So we want to make sure that we can do everything we can to deliver that five-star process for them next time, whether buyer selling and working with our organization. Hopefully, you know, by this, we have had a chance where one of those bad reviews ended up being a client that came back to us just by acknowledging it and just being accountable, which at the end of the day, I think a lot of times is just what they want. Yeah. You, you see regularly on social and other places, agents struggle doing the right thing there. Yes. They, they want to fight back and you never win. Right? No, yeah. no. We always apologize. So we always start, if we get a bad review, we always start with an apology. How many agents? So we have 13 agents. Now we have two agents primarily handling listings. Um, so they'll work the listing leads. And then we have another 11 primarily handling the buyer leads. However, all of our agents are cross-trained, meaning we don't just have buyer's division or listing division. If a buyer's agent gets a listing, they're allowed to work it and yeah. vice versa for the listing agents. If I'm sitting out here listening to this podcast and I hear, first of all, we're talking about 20 people, p- approaching 20 people in size on this team. Correct. You got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So. Did you make some mistakes along the way, Joe, as you were building your team? I mean, if I were to do it all over again, I would have gone admin heavy over agent heavy at first. I think uh, a lot of times, you know, you don't have the capital or the cost to kind of front load all those admins, stay in production, do what you want to do. And so we brought on agents, but there really wasn't the back end built out yet. So we had a lot of sales force and great agents, but we didn't really have the back end support to kind of give them the structure and processes and procedures that they needed to be as successful as possible. Right. Even when building the admin team, would you, would you suggest a certain order? Cause I think it gets, it gets pretty specific for some people. They're like, what do I bring on first? I'm always learned in pretty much several coaching organizations. It was kind of the same rule of thumb is write a list of the real estate business on the left side, write the activities you like to do on the right side, write the activities you don't want to do or take off your plate. And that's what you're first admin hire should do. Um, So pretty much your first admin hire, I think, is more of your executive assistant. They're kind of almost doing a little bit of everything. The marketing person, the admin, listing coordination, they're kind of doing it all. Where once you kind of get that going, then you start to segment it a little bit and have those specialists come into place once you have enough business to kind of fill the workload. That makes sense. You talked about Zillow leads early on. Let's talk about what does lead generation look like today, right, for 54 Realty? Because my guess is 
I, I would assume a large percentage of your business is going to be referral, past clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we shouldn't call them past clients. Referrals and clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, But you're also, I'm sure, prospecting and lead generating as well. So what does that breakdown look like? And if you don't mind sharing, you know, no, where, where does that come from? Um, so we do a little bit of everything. Um, we, we do have several different lead pillars that we generate consumer leads from and, and, and prospect those clients. Uh, we're heavy on farming. So Office 54 corridor, we're still dropping a lot of mail. I know a lot of people have gone away from that. We still believe in it and have uh, relatively good success. Um, we also Zillow. So we started with Zillow. We're still heavy on Zillow, okay. um, working with them and and acquiring their leads. And they've always been at a higher conversion than any of our other sources. Work with two CRM companies who also provide us leads, uh, Boomtown, mm-hmm. and we'll provide Google pay-per-click leads. And then we also have Ylopo, which is more of a social pay-per-click lead. So that's pretty much the four main source that we're spending money on and that we get a decent ROI on. And then um, a lot of our business, like you said, is just clients coming back, referring us other people in the area, all that, all that good stuff. Yeah, the the ROI on your client care specialist is yeah. is killing any of the other ROI, I'm sure. Absolutely, <laughs> but that's by that's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, ultimately, and and you mentioned ROI. Are you the numbers guy? Is yes. you're, you're the tracker. You're the one going. I have spent this much money. We have spent this much money this year. This is what it's generated. You source everything. You're on track of all that stuff. Yeah, and we get pretty granular with it. Like we not just tracking the sources, but also the zip codes. We really want to kind of see, wow. you know, where we're getting our return from, what's working, what's not, what areas we're having success in, and what areas we're not. You talked about social a little bit and why Lopo. I keep hearing that name a lot more lately. Yeah, it looks like they're they're making a, a bit of a move, but. You really embrace video. Mm-hmm. Um, I love watching what you've done there. Talk about that. Talk about like what, when did it hit you? When did you first like say this is something I've got to do more of? Was it how long ago was, was this part of that process? I mean, to be honest, it's probably like five, six years ago. I just kind of like every other realtor didn't want to do video or be uh, in front of the camera. But at at a certain point, I realized that it wasn't an option any longer. I um, as much as I didn't want to do the videos or kind of go on camera, I didn't want to go without an income and find a way to make a living. I just think at some point um, for you to kind of transition and survive in this industry, you're just going to have to be video. And, and with the emergence of social media, it's inevitable that you at some point have to embrace it and do it. So I probably didn't start doing it really till about a year and a half ago, but was thinking about, it, I guess, three and a half years prior, um, teamed up with a company called Paris, their Paris marketing local um, in the Safety Harbor area, really like their platform. They kind of do some videos, boost them on social media for you, and then we'll put some postcards out behind it just to the area, dropping, and then sending people back to a landing page where all the videos are kind of in a library. So you're hyper-targeting the area socially with these social posts, right? The video yes. and things. And then the postcards branded to look just like the video in some way, shape, or form. Correct. So all of a sudden, this message of the of Team, or, I'm sorry, 54 Realty keeps coming out, just keeps coming out. Yeah. And the, yeah. the web page for that, so the URL is 54 Group. That's Perfect. the page for that. So it'll just be a video library of all the videos. So when they go, whether it's social or they go to the URL from the postcard, it's going to take them to the landing page that has all the videos for them to watch the content yeah. and then inquire online. You do a lot of videos that talk about the process of buying or selling or just you know, all the things that are involved with, you know, the the, the, the process of, of owning real estate. Mm-hmm. Talk about how important those have been. Have you seen some results? Have you seen some success come from those videos where people are almost, are you getting some organic love on some of that stuff? Yeah, definitely. We're definitely getting a lot of traction on it. Um, I feel that, well, any business owner, you really want to put value out in the marketplace. And, and what I'm finding is we're now in kind of an, education derived environment with businesses. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the consumers are kind of want to have what I would call those equity deposits, you know, give the information out for free, educate them. And eventually if you know, you go ask for the business or 
you might even guilt them into giving it to you because <laughs> you're putting out so much free content. What I've seen from a lot of realtors, they'll just make a post and then they'll ask for it. You know, it's, it's just a post. They really hadn't put out any education or tutorials or how they can help the consumer. And they're asking for the business. And a lot of times I don't believe in that strategy because you don't gain much traction. You know, you need to put the content out, become that, I guess, reliable source yeah. in your industry, in your area that somebody trusts. And then when you do go to ask, they're not as unwilling as if you just go for it out the gate. Yeah. So the, there are coaches mm-hmm. who follow along that process directly. I think, I, I think of Tom Ferry right away. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, then there are coaches like his dad mm-hmm. <laughs> that might be just the opposite of what you're saying. Yes. Right. It's like you got to make 100 calls a day. Yeah. And you've done that. Mm-hmm. You've been on both sides of that mm-hmm. fence. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, talk. I, I, how, what is it? I kind of asked this earlier, but I I love finding out from top producers how you handle this part of the business. So you probably have people on your team who don't like making calls. Is Mm -hmm. that a fair assumption? Yeah, there's definitely uh, some who like making them more than others. And so the ones that don't like making them, how do you induce them to do that activity, which you know is going to help them grow their business? Um, I I think it's just kind of sitting down with them and having them kind of have the self-realization that it's kind of part of the industry for them to kind of survive as an agent. They're going to have to make the calls. They're going to have to engage. Um, we are evolving as a society where a lot of people do prefer texting, but you're still going to have to do a little bit of both. So the people who want to call, I got I tell them, hey, you know, if you want to reach a maximum level of your success, you're going to have to do both and vice versa for the people who prefer to text over making the calls. Right, right. And then, and then, and ultimately that can be reduced over time. Can it? Is it possible? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So once you've built up your business, you get to a point where you're going to work really hard on making sure that all those customers are being touched and contacted and listened to on a regular basis. Uh, and and you're going to continue to grow um, that business that way. And they're much easier conversations at that point. Unbelievable, right? When Yeah, it's much easier to pick up the phone and call somebody. Absolutely. <laughs> that you already know. I love that. Look, we're in a brave new world in real estate. It feels like it's always a brave new world, but there's some big changes that have happened recently, right? So we've had the iBuyers who have been around. I, I came out of the Phoenix market a few years ago. They've been around there forever. That's where they kind of the birthplace of all these new things with open door and, and offer pad. Uh, and now they're in the Tampa area, Orlando and Tampa. Have, we have open door offer pad. Um, Purple Bricks went away, so that's okay. We don't talk about them anymore. Uh, but Zillow Winston offers. Now I've seen EXPs rolling out their plan. Uh, every big box brokerage, you know, whether it's Realogy or Keller Williams or Remax, they're going to have their own in-house sort of an iBuyer opportunity, which might generate listing leads. But you've done something really cool that said, you know what? I can play in this game. I don't have to sit here and just complain about them. I can do something that's going to let me use it. So let's talk about the website you created and what that's doing for you. So bringalloffers.com is a website that um, we created for our team at the time. And it was just as an advisory platform for consumers to kind of let them know what's going on out there in the community. A lot of times, I'm sure you've seen it as well. Anytime a realtor, a real estate agent is going to post something about these comes usually negative. They don't give a reason why other than you're losing X amount of dollars or, you know, somebody got bamboozled into selling their house. And I, I honestly believe that these iBuyer programs, all of them have a place in the market. Um, they There are consumers who are going to gravitate towards that. And it makes sense for them too, depending on their situation. So I just kind of wanted to educate the consumers out there, advise them of, you know, the potential benefits and also the hurdles and pitfalls 
of going through these processes, what it looks like, what you, they could get on the open market and just have that consultation. So in, instead of the consumer having to just pick, hey, I want to talk to an agent or I want to talk to one of these institutional buyers or iBuyer programs, we just thought it'd be beneficial to have somebody that can explain the process of both. Yeah. More knowledge. Yes. More sharing of knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, try to, I try to explain to people that, and I think as time goes on, they're getting this fact that there have always been people who needed to sell their property quickly and at a discount. Mm -hmm. That's what home flippers have, have lived on for mm -hmm. decades, uh, right? And now, and then you had the inst that got institutionalized with uh, I Buy Ugly Homes, right? So mm -hmm. there was, or I Buy Ugly Houses, that kind of institutionalized it. It's just, keeps going on a different level. Now we've yeah. got, you know, with technology and really smart kids out at a, you know, Palo Alto coming in and just going, Hey, we can do this on a big, you know, level and scale it up. Absolutely. And, and you had the hedge funds coming in too, at 2011, 2012, and they were coming in. Now they did more of a buy and hold than buy and flip. Right. But they kind of came in and bought on a large scale. And at that time we're paying market value for the homes. Right. So I think let's talk about, you know, the, 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 the iBuyer comparison. You're a, most of the iBuyers today are going to go ahead and, and, um, and have compensation packages set up for agents to bring iBuyers to them, correct? Mm -hmm. Or bring, bring customers to their iBuyer program. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's just one point, one percent, but still one percent just to bring somebody to a website and, and kind of go over the offer with them is pretty fair, right? I definitely agree. Yes. Right. So that's good. Um, and I think that you you mentioned it the, the negativity that tends to kind of permeate the the realtor community about these i buyers has to change they're not going to go away correct i think that a lot of people want to say oh wait till the market turns they're not going to be able to handle the market turn it's going to change their model and i i would always counter with well i know the guys that open offer pad you know, brian's a smart guy and he cut his teeth he and his team made a lot of money in the short sale days they know how to handle that market. Mm -hmm. So if that market comes back, I don't think they're going to be not ready for it. No, Does that I don't think sense? so either. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's going to be a place in the market for, um, like I said, those institutional buyers to kind of come in and there's going to be a certain clientele that needs that and gravitates. I'd say right now, you know, you're probably looking at 5% of the market. I don't really ever see it kind of wavering from that. Where, yeah. You know, they're yeah. about 5% that would, it might make sense for them. maybe they need a, a post occupancy. They're doing new construction and it's not worth doing two moves if they have to sell prior to buying. Right. Yeah, a lot of times too here, if a house has to go through probate or the heirs are taken over, but they don't want to come down and deal with an estate sale on the house. It might just be easier to kind of let, you know, mom or dad's house go at that time and go this route because of the time, the time away from their work or business or families flying down airfare, all that stuff. Right. Starts to add up as well. You're a numbers guy and you've had the off. How long have you had the website up? Uh, website, probably, I want to say about two and a half months. Okay. Two and a half, three months. So you might not have enough data yet, mm -hmm. on it, but I'm just curious. Do you know yet if, uh, what percentage of, of people who ask for information from you will go traditional versus who said, I just need an eye buyer? Do you have that kind of data yet? Yeah. So we've, on the traction on it, there's been two or three cases where they end up going to the institutional buyers. Okay. Um, the offers made sense. We, it, it, um, went over both propositions with them and proposals and, at that time, they were netting more because some of these iBuyers do use a mathematical algorithm that is sometimes flawed. So we're going over, so, okay, you can net X amount here with us listening, testing the market, you're, you're, no, you're going to net Y. So both of them uh, went, uh, you know, that route. And what happens is these, in these circumstances, these iBuyers have due diligence period, usually about 20 days. Day 19, they came back. One was too close to seeing coal activity, so they withdrew the offer. The other one was too close to a flood zone, 
you know, proximity to flood zone, they withdrew the offer. Wow. So a lot of the misconceptions out there, and I think the real estate community, instead of just bashing these companies, need to understand how they work, is there's going to be certain caveats. But a lot of times, these iBuyer programs don't let you know towards the end, rather before making the offer right. or... Um, the buyer kind of deciding which route to go. So now when you're having those consultations with somebody new to the website, those are case studies where you just kind of tell them, this is, by the way, this is possible. Absolutely. Now we know where your property is and, you know, sinkhole activity is not here. It's not in a flood zone. So we know those won't be the two, but there's still this possibility down the road. Yeah. High, high foreclosure activity could be another one that comes up. Interesting. So it really depends on yeah. what they find during their due diligence period, which just isn't the inspection process. Yeah. It's not, not as simple as an inspector walking through. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, good. Good. So, and then, and then when you do educate them and let's say in those cases where they kind of w- retracted the offer, they canceled the contract, then you just have more, so much more validity with that clientele, yeah. right? Because now they trust you yep. like, okay, he was going to let us go this route. Now we trust. And now let's market and sell the house so we can fulfill the dream and goal of what we we're trying to accomplish. So what a, what a concept, Joe. Instead of just you know telling everybody these, these companies are just ripping off your equity, instead you go, let's look at it, see if it makes sense. If it does, great. If not, I can help you over here. It's going to do nothing but build more referral business. Absolutely. It seems just crazy that more people aren't doing this. Mm-hmm. I agree. But, uh, you know, it works for me it's while they're not. So <laughs> it's good for you. Yeah. yeah, Keep up the great work. Well, look, I'm watching the clock. I've had you here the half hour that I asked of your time. So um, I want to wrap this up by asking you the same question I've asked every single guest, all 208 previous guests, uh, and, and get your answer. And that is, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started, what would it be? Uh, video. I definitely would go heavy on social. Nice. Um, you know, try to keep your capital for, you know, paying expenses while you're building the business. And there's a lot of stuff you can do to grow your business and get that organic growth where you really don't have to spend money. Right now, I think, is a huge opportunity. You have a huge sector of the marketplace that isn't using video. You have a lot of top real estate agents and performers who are not using or embracing video. And it's a way for you to kind of come and penetrate the market early. And it's really not going to cost you any money. So I'd be all in on the video strategy, putting out as much content as you can on video and social platforms. So what's your advice to that person when they say, I don't look good on, I don't sound good on video? What do you say to them? You're going to look the same as when you show up in person with a client. Okay. Yeah. May as well, may as well uh, lessen the shock. You know, <laughs> they're going to see you anyways. How's that, right? Exactly. Okay, good. Joe, if someone wants to reach out to you or, or ask you more questions, is there a way they can do that? Yeah, absolutely. They can call me. Um, our office line is area code 813-435-5411. That's 813-435-5411. Or they can simply send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at 54Realty, number five, number four, Realty, R-E-A-L-T-Y.com. Joe, thank you so much for your time today. I mean, it's been fun to watch what you're doing. I, I saw you speak on a panel, and that's where I, it kind of clicked. Oh, my gosh, he's embracing this stuff. Uh, and then when I got deeper into your 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 team and, and all the stuff you're doing, it's so refreshing to see somebody really focusing so hard on that customer experience. So congratulations. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, me and my wife take a lot of pride in that, and uh, it's something that we constantly you know build on and, and strive for.